It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. <laughs> Star Trek Discovery, Season 3, Episode 11, Sukal, is over, but we're just getting started here on Post Show Recaps. My name is Jessica Lees, and I regret to inform you that uh, my co-host Mike Bloom isn't here, and in his place is this strange-looking Bajoran dude, and it's really it's really kind of off-putting, and I'm, I'm not sure, but I'm just going to keep going. Hello, strange Bajoran dude. Welcome to the podcast. Glory be to the prophets, Jess. Yes, it is weird to think about Mike Bloom and his giant nose with ridges on it, but <laughs> here we are. Uh, I know, let me speak to my human co-host by wishing her a Merry Christmas, a Merry Christmas to the listeners of the podcast, Merry Christmas to the cast and crew of Star Trek Discovery, though to one particular cast member, I will wish a very happy December 24th, 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, which I still hope <laughs> he, ce- he celebrates 25 years after the fact. I, I'm I'm sure he would never stop doing that. Um, although I'm sure that he's probably signed a legal lease agreement at some point in the last 25 years. Yeah, I don't know, though. I, I feel like he came back and did it so many times. We are, of course, speaking of Anthony Rapp, uh, the infamous Mark from Rent. But I, I, I don't know. I feel like it, is it part of it sentimental or to your point, is there some sort of like lifeblood contract that him and all the OG cast members signed in? That's like anytime there's a Rent-esque thing, <laughs> your your image may be used or you have to make it your requisite appearance there. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure that's a pretty standard part of any Broadway actor's contract. <laughs> But maybe, maybe, anyway. maybe, maybe, maybe if you're building a show, maybe not if you're not step, if you're stepping into Dolly Levi, I don't think they're like, well, we own you now, Bette Midler. But maybe when you're <laughs> when you're building a show from the ground up, you know, like God help the cast of Hamilton in that regard. Man, they well, cast of Hamilton, their life is fine. I'm not really worried about that. <laughs> so, you know whose life is not fine right now, Mike? And that's a pretty good segue, if I do say so myself. Everybody on Disco, like they are so effed right now, I in so many different ways. You, if the radiation doesn't get you, the giant like cable arms enveloping the ship as Osiris people come and take it over, like that's gonna get you. So I don't know where I'd rather be at this point, but none of it is good. I mean, at least when if you're down on the planet, you're in a a fun new environment. Like I I trust that as weird as Sukal's play palace is at least it seems a little more welcoming than osira and her goons but yeah this being said jess i'm gonna admit something you know i'm still of two minds about the two-parter from the past couple of weeks this felt much more to me like a two-part episode yes. than the two weeks beforehand like this was the mr war fire da 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 to be continued <laughs> that we wanted right we needed this climactic yeah. moment to to be the inf- intermission and we finally got that here so it was so weird to go from an out and out canonical two-parter into what very much felt like the first part of assumingly what's a two-part episode i'm assuming that michael burnham and book aren't just like all right well let's just uh go do another thing then and forget about discovery (laughs) well you know mike it's almost as if star trek discovery told us that they were doing military training exercises near our home planet and so we thought we would be okay to go explore this other nebula, and then it turned out that they were at the nebula. Yeah, that's how they get you. Exactly. That's that's you know where where they're able to uh, they're able to really target you in that moment. And let's hope Disco is insured, Jess, or at least if they are insured, they might be insured by one of our sponsors for today's podcast. Yeah, that's true, because uh, our our podcast this week is brought to you by our friends over at Geico. Do you own or rent your home? Sure you do. And I bet it can be hard work. You know what's easy? Bundling policies with Geico. Geico makes it easy to bundle your homeowner's or renter's insurance along with your auto policy. And it's a good thing, too, because you already have so much to do around your home. Go to Geico.com, get a quote, and see how much you could save. It's Geico easy. Visit Geico.com today. That's Geico.com. And let me tell you, Mike... I think in the year 3100, Geico's definitely going to be doing Starfleet insurance, 
Like your your ships can be insured with Geico, although I bet there's a clause in there that says if there's another burn, we are not covering that. Well, like, I that's wonder just business to that extent though. Was it around during the first burn? Because if it was around during the first burn, then now it must have bankrupted it, right? Like imagine yeah. hundreds of warp capable ships, and it's like, oh, sorry, we don't cover for like petulant magical kelpian toddler uh, <laughs> making an outburst that triggers the burn. I'm so sorry, we can't cover you because either that or this company has promptly gone under and been replaced by some other spaceship insurance. Though I would also imagine the Emerald Chain would have to own any sort of insurance stuff in the quadrant, right? Because they very much seem like the mob in that regard, and that does speak to me very shady mob dealings. Yeah, it's true. Um, I would guess they probably ran Warren Buffett out of town on a rail um, at the point where the Emerald Chain started taking over the insurance racket. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, we're just finding out so much more about the Emerald Chain, including a grand close-up on Osira in this episode. And you know what I realized, Jess, for me, maybe it's less so about her sort of over-the-top aspect, and maybe it's more so about the hair, because I really don't know what's going on with the hair here with Osira. Do they not have a good barber in the Emerald Chain? Could she not, like, enslave someone to help her do that? Well, you know, they enslaved a barber on Fear the Walking Dead, and maybe she was like, you know, that show's not very good, and it doesn't seem to have worked out for them. You can't really trust a barber, so I'm just going to cut my own hair, or I'll just get one of my flunkies to do it with his floby. It'll be fine. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I'm um, going back to Tilly, taking a page out of her book. Maybe she is projecting. Maybe she was just looking at the luminous, luscious red locks of Mary Wiseman and it's like, ah, oh, I need to I need to show her, you know, I need to serve her one up because she looks so much better than me at any point in time that it doesn't look like their mom cut her hair with a bowl and you decide to keep the hairstyle for the next three centuries or anything like that. Yeah, well, you know, also, Osiris busy. She is a career woman with a lot of interests across the galaxy. She is not really, maybe she doesn't really care about appearances. Maybe it was like, that was the first thing to go after the Emerald Chain took over. It's like, you know what? We don't care about beauty standards anymore. They are a tool of the patriarchy. And I'm going to move in and I'm going to create a brave new world where we don't have to worry about what our hair looks like. And for that, I champion her. It's interesting, though, that you say, you know, she's got a lot of stuff to do because... If you if we're connecting the past few episodes, evidently she really doesn't at this moment. She's concentrated on one thing and one thing only. Where I guess the first thing was Rin, and now she's promptly just I think ditched that idea and is like, oh no 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 no, this is my new golden goose. This this spaceship, I'm gonna try to find that no matter what. To the point where, as the point you made before, they are like doing this big saber rattling, uh, you know, phaser rattling just to get discovery purely. Well. Discovery is a big thing, Mike. In a world with no dilithium, if you have a spore drive, that's, you know, they've noted, they noted that several times. It's pretty effing significant. Um, but also, isn't Rin back at Starfleet headquarters anyway? And that's the next place they're going so they can get him next. Yeah, I don't know. Cause I know he was on the ship, obviously, at the end of that Quajon episode, but we never saw him get like dropped off with Admiral Fridge or anything. I mean, I guess I don't know where else he would go. But I, I'm wondering why he also decided not to stay on Discovery. Maybe they said, like, no, 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 you're you're bad business for us. But little did they know that they themselves are bad business, too. Evidently. But, Mike, I want to I wanna start with something that really, really bugs me. Like, Discovery is starting to maybe not knock it out of the park every time. And there's one thing in particular that I was really annoyed by because – I hate the idea that the burn was caused by, as you note, a, an unstable Kelpian toddler. This is not okay because this is, this is so tropey. This is, and it's such a tiny dumb thing to have caused something that destroyed Starfleet itself. It destroyed the Federation. And it was just a kid who didn't know what he was doing. This harkens back to the second episode of anything Star Trek ever. Mm. This harkens back to the Squire of Gothos, which um, I don't know if you have seen that episode. I, yeah, recently, I don't, I don't Mike. think. Yeah, I don't think I have. I mean, obviously, like you know, of that first season, there's so many episodes that come to mind. But I think there's a reason why the second episode is the second episode. Yeah, it's and it was it was. I suppose it was probably a little more fresh at the time. Oh, no, excuse me. This was the 18th episode of oh, okay. the original series. So, But it was season one, episode 18. And, and the the whole thing is like they get taken over by this being that has powers. 
And then at the end of the episode, his parents drop in and are like, hey, knock it off. Stop bothering these people. And he's like, oh, sorry, mom. And the whole thing is like he was a kid and they were like his human playthings. Mm. Or there's the Twilight Zone episode where there's the four characters in search of an exit and it's really like they're you know, their godlike being as a child. Right. Or or that episode with the um the the special kid, right? The one yep. that can like do anything with his mind. The one where he wishes him into the cornfield. Yeah, that's exactly yep. what I was thinking of. Yeah. So I mean who knows? I guess uh, Colbert and Saru are very lucky that Sakal did not wish them into that a freaky deaky cornfield, assumingly. <laughs> but yeah, it's it's strange, right? Because it's also like even going outside of Star Trek and like that that horror stuff, this was very like Jean Grey to me. Or like Scarlet Witch, this idea of like an, a very uber powerful, unstable being. And granted, you know, I, I will reserve what I said two weeks ago. Of since it seems like we're sort of in the middle of a spiritual two parter, I kind of want to reserve my thoughts until next week because I'm assuming we're going to get more to call next week. But it is, it's an odd choice. I agree to have yeah. this child like be the reason for the burn. That I guess what that he like. Because he wasn't, like, born... I guess he was born on the planet, right? Because Dr. Isa, yeah. when she sent out that message, she was pregnant. But is it just that, like, growing up in that environment essentially gave him superpowers? So now he has this ability to, like, disrupt dilithium because he was born into it? Yeah, he was bitten by radioactive dilithium, Mike. That's exactly what happened there. <laughs> exactly. Now he's just, like, flipping off of walls, screaming. Yeah, and he can shoot webs, but um, they actually take the form of, like, a floating creature. Yeah, maybe that's it. Maybe it's just all of his web residue just formed this monster that he's that's chasing after him. He's being chased by what he created in so many ways. Yeah, but it, it's really like this cannot be what caused the burn, Mike. I do not accept it. I do not buy it. I just like powerful child is such a dumb thing, and it's so hard to watch. And like nobody wants to watch like the machinations of a man child inside a giant game like i feel like they have there's other entertainment for that and this is such a sophisticated show with so much going on and so much going for it like we had the last season we we fought a super intelligence that was trying to access all of the knowledge in the known universe mm. and we had to jump a thousand years into the future to protect themselves from it and now it's like our big bad is going to be this this kelpian with stunted growth like this is this is 16 year old writing disco fan fiction level bad and i <laughs> hate it for this show and i i have some sympathy for him and i have some sympathy for the people that are trying to save him because it is a it's a tough situation to be in but it's like no, you didn't cause the burn. You didn't cause the end of civilization as we know it because you threw a temper tantrum. That's just dumb. Like, I, I don't know what the show could do next week with this information other than, oh, no, he didn't cause the burn. The burn was caused by something actually mm. important. So, it, I mean, if it turned out to be because I think a lot of our speculation going into this week was like that the burn was going to be some sort of like planned attack, perhaps. And maybe that's, again sort of uh sort of incepted from the whole stuff from Star Trek Picard with the attack on Mars being an inside job. If it turns out next week, because we don't know what was the first event that caused to call to act out to allegedly cause the burn in the first place, if that turned out to be some sort of push by the Federation or something, would that help quell the taste in your mouth a little bit, even though that he's the direct cause, like this was still some sort of nefarious plot to get him to do this? Maybe. But I can't imagine, like, what would the Federation have had to gain from destroying all of their own ships and ruining their chances to, you know, maintain peace in a utopian cash-free environment? Like, was somebody just, like, over it and wanted to – wanted the Osira of it all? Like, does somebody – like, wow, you know what? If I murder millions of people and destabilize the main fuel source that makes intergalactic travel possible, I could make a lot of money. Like, are right. people really that terrible? I mean, it could be a thing where, like, maybe there was sort of a proto-Cyra person, someone who is who essentially wanted capitalism to thrive and is like, I need to disrupt the market in a manner of speaking. Well, well hold on, Mike. 
Was this the Ferengi? Did the Ferengi do this? You know what? It's going to be the guy who command- commandeered the USS Nog went rogue and was like, I'm going to do this now because <laughs> I need to go back to my Ferengi roots. And he said, you know, this will cause much profit. Spoiler alert, it doesn't. And I think, you know, maybe maybe they sort of regret what they what they do. Because I am, I'm inclined to agree with you at this point that it, it is odd that the source of the burn is not a what, but a who. Again, I'm going to uh, reserve judgment until we exactly find out, like, what were the circumstances that caused that burn? But it, it's an odd idea. I guess in literally personifying the burn, you're able to t- milk out some discourse through that and, and some conflict and some character interactions. But yeah, I think that specific trope, as we've talked about before, like the show almost seems better than that, what it's able to bring unconventionally, which I mean, you see firsthand in the visual style of this episode, which this is by far the most visually arresting episode we have seen of the show so far. I know I said this about episode four, but this, I'll say it again, when I heard that Star Trek was being made in the late 2010s, early 2020s, I'm like, okay, this is what we need. We need Mm -hmm. like just brilliant creative stuff that we can do with cgi and practical effects that we couldn't 50 years ago and we finally got that to happen or honestly mike 20 years ago they couldn't do this yeah and if if that's just being used to dress up what is to your point like a fairly trite out for a plot point that would be disappointing yeah oh you know what i was i I just realized this mike i was conflating squire of gothos with corbomite maneuver Oh, because they yeah, have yeah. that like the the guy appears to them as a child and he's like at laughs evilly. Yes, I remember that now. The 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 evil child even showing up in Star Trek's OG season one. Yeah, this is like the show has been on for one hour total. But yeah, I'm gonna go back to your point, Mike, because I think it's a it's an important one because you can dress up a story that if we told it on a Deep Space Nine episode, it would be like. It would be on the level of the one where they all got trapped inside the giant board game and had to sing the song. I was going to say, run, it, like, Run Along Home, I think was what was the yeah. name of it. Move Along Home, yeah. Move Along and, Home, and yeah. I was And I was especially thinking of DS9 when the ship is approaching, like, through these radiation storms, and it's beautiful, and you really feel like you're there, and you can... It, it looks like like every shot is just this great color palette and it looks very natural. It looks like actual photos we've seen of space. And I'm thinking about Deep Space Nine doing the exact same thing. When you went through the wormhole, it looked like you were in like freaking Tron yeah. compared to this. And it was – and I was thinking, man, that really – that really just underlines how far we've come as a CGI-capable society in the last yeah. 30 years. And I was just so stunned throughout this entire episode when we got down to that planet. First with the idea of obviously like the whole, I mean, essentially, Jess, this was like a holodeck episode, was it not? Where, it was. And where, I, I, it's a, it's fact, like a, sh- a ship-wide holodeck, essentially. Yeah. yeah, and in fact, the second they all land and they're wearing different clothes, I'm like, oh, here we go, holodeck episode. But, I mean, that being said, it's basically like a holodeck episode if all the programs were running at the same time and like also all running on Windows 95 so they're all <laughs> crashing at the same time yeah it's just from a, a cinematography and a and a VFX perspective it was just so cool and so well done to see like the surrealities of the MC Escher staircases yeah to just that that beautiful striking image of like that floating palace and the little platforms that they had to walk across Mario style too which you mentioned in the intro here just the different appearances of the of our people. I, I don't necessarily know. Like, I know they try to explain it of like, oh, we did it to give, you know, a more uh, a more comforting view to the child. But like, I, that seems strange to me considering it was two humans. Do humans like not exist in these programs? Two humans and a Kelpian. And there's a Kelpian, like the Kelpian is the one they're trying to protect. Wouldn't you think that he would respond better to Saru than to Doug Jones? Yeah, I don't know, but maybe, I guess, you know, there's a lot of talk about sort of pampering Sukal and, like, you know, trying to build up this idea that the outside world is gone. So maybe just the idea of bringing in another Kelpian would be enough reality shattering. Mm. That being said, I am very happy for Doug Jones that for this week he didn't have to sit in the makeup trailer starting at 4 a.m. for, like, five days in a row. He could, like, walk around happy. He was talking about this on the ready room of, like, for the first time ever on Disco 
he didn't have to like he could go to the bathroom by himself he could drink (laughs) coffee by himself like he is so encumbered by all that stuff and i will when i was watching this with angela we were so happy when we saw you know first we saw colbert's the bajoran we saw michael as the trill which admittedly i think they kind of I don't know. They, they, I think they kind of wussed out a bit on the trill spots. Yeah. Uh, I, I think they were they were just sort of like, you know, very spottily put in. Yeah. No, they but gave it, her a crayon. They're like, you do this yourself. Yeah. And it's crazy because we saw the trills in episode four and they were like very, I don't know. I felt like they were yeah. more ornate than that. And then as soon as I saw those boot prints hit the ground, I'm like, oh, my God, is this human Doug Jones? Is this human Doug Jones? And it is. Oh, yeah. and it was it was so awesome. And he had hair, which is incredible, too. Yeah, I was going to say, like, happy birthday, Doug Jones. Like, this must have been the reason they did that. They just like, okay, you know what? You can film a whole episode and you don't have to get in the Saru suit. Yeah, and it's great to see because, unfortunately, I mean, fortunately, Doug Jones is very well employed and has been for quite some time. Unfortunately, you would never know. You could pass him Mm -hmm. on the street and you wouldn't know him because he's always under makeup or prosthetic. So to get to see him also act without through any sort of stuff on his face or his body was also a really fun thing to see. And I'm happy we'll get to hopefully see more of it next episode too. Yeah, I'm I'm excited for it. And also, um, if Hollywood happens to be listening, like Hollywood as an entity happens to be listening to this podcast, would somebody please write a buddy cop movie starring Doug Jones and Andy Serkis? Oh, I like that. Of like those guys, you know, of the, we, we're used to seeing them, you know, behind CGI. What happens when they get out in front of it, when they go from CGI to L to LAPD or something? Lots of, lots of chase scenes. And it's like they're, they're capturing in motion. Yeah. Well, speaking of, of those guys, Jess, uh, actually the guy who played Sukal this episode as an actor by the name of Bill Irwin, who some people might know, he is very big in like the uh, theater vaudeville mime circuit. I personally know him because uh, in having a one and a half year old son, we are starting to get into Sesame Street. And he was the very first guy to play Elmo's pal, Mr. Noodle. That was Bill Irwin. Really? That was. Yeah. Okay, sure. Because I know Mr. Noodle has been there have been a few different iterations. of Mr. Noodle. One of them is deceased. One of them is Alana Glazer. And then there's the one with the. Is he the curly hair with the mustache? Yeah, so he was the one that had, like, the big shock of red hair, yes. which I'm assuming was not his, but the mustache. So it's it's interesting that this is another guy who is sort of known for being an animated face and is, is you know, able to emote behind a lot of prosthetics. So it's great to see him recruited for that. And, you know, uh, Doug Jones was talking about this on the Ray Room, and it, it makes me realize every time we see a Kelpian, how much essentially Doug Jones, like, wrote the show bible for how to be a kelpian because mm-hmm. if you think about it like now christmas was like wasn't like okay and kelpians specifically walk like this and they point like this that was all doug jones and then as a result every subsequent kelpian we have seen in a major capacity has to act like that like if you saw us to call run away the myriad times he did in this episode he swished his arms behind them like we saw with, yeah. with saru so it's it must be so powerful as an actor especially in such a like a monumental franchise as star trek to essentially write the book on your species and how they're supposed to behave i mean who has really been able to do that like since leonard nimoy basically yeah exactly i'm I'm trying to think i mean i know yeah you really because I, I feel like there was also so much like retconning going on where you could like well maybe michael dorn did it for the klingons but then you could be like well they then they redid the klingons in star trek discovery so yeah it's because the franchise is so want to do to to rediscover things unless you have just an inimitable performance like leonard nimoy it's usually going to be erased and overwritten for the prospects of drama but i, I yeah I, I think that what doug jones was able to do is really special i'm glad it's able to imprint on a lot of other people but not too many people, because just something else I heard in the ready room <laughs> is that the 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 Kelpian elder who you know comforts Saru and reads to him was played by the actor who played Saru's father in that yeah. Kaminar short. So apparently they're just like keeping it in the family, quite literally, when it comes to casting. Well, Mike, you got to think about this from the point of view of the casting directors, because Doug Jones, sure, he has brought mannerisms to Saru and he's created like the behaviors of a Kelpian, but he's also built a particular way and you mm. cannot, there's not a lot of body diversity on Kaminar. So you pretty much 
you have to be built a particular way to embody a Kelpian in the first place. And it even is kind of weird. Like when in the first episode, when they're in the mirror universe and they're choosing which Kelpian to eat, like the other two are so much shorter than Doug Jones. And it's like, well, that's kind of strange. Like why, what's wrong with these Kelpians? Are they stunted somehow? Are they going to taste bad? Um, and so I feel like you need to now, every person you cast as a Kelpian now has to be seven feet tall and 95 pounds. And those people are hard to come by. So if you mm. have a couple, you just call them up and have them play other Kelpians. It's I, not, it's no thing. I love this idea of like almost the accidental Jeffrey Combs of like, oh, <laughs> yes. well, because you look this way and the prosthetics are fitted to your face, we're going to have yes. to bring you back again and again. That's exactly what it is, the accidental Jeffrey Combs. <laughs> so what what were your thoughts, Jess, on what we saw down here on this planet? Just, you know, everything from, like, the weird Nazgul-esque monster to, you know, all the crumbling infrastructure? It was It was very strange to see computers failing on Star Trek because, you know, sometimes they fail in an interesting way where it's like they're going to destroy the ship, but they never fail in a way that's like the computer itself is malfunctioning. Mm. Like sometimes they do the wrong thing, but they're always doing the wrong thing correctly. You know what I'm saying? Like you don't see them flicker. You don't see them, you know, trip or, you know, reveal a bunch of their source code like one of them did. And that to me like there's no blue screen of death in the Star Trek universe. Mm, yeah, that's a good point. It, it's it's almost like this seems very much more out of like Star Wars. You know, like it seems much yeah. more far, far away, long, long time ago. Of like, well, the technology is a little fritzy because people are on like the outskirts of the outer rim, so it'll be a little flickery and glitchy at times. Whereas, like you said, yeah. this is all about like refurbished, top of the line technology, especially. The yeah. furthest we've been, sort of, sort of in in canonical history, and so yeah, it's a little odd to bring down and essentially see this thing so irradiated. The cell phone has been put in the microwave for 125 years, so it's not going to exactly work optimally. Yeah, nobody on Star Trek smacks the side of something to get it to work again. But you're right; it's another way in which this season has been very, very Star Warsy. Can I ask another question about this universe, yeah, Mike? Please do. Where the hell was Badgie? I don't know. Maybe Badgie here. Yeah, maybe Rutherford's uh, legacy is not nearly as well worn as Boimler's uh, in the futures of Starfleet. So they're just like, oh, yeah, there's this one guy. And then we just sort of maybe they like discoed him. Right. They're like, there's no existence of Rutherford in the record. There's no existence of Badgie. Maybe the monster (laughs) is sort of like a Badgie. Right. It's sort of like a hollow creation turned evil. What if what if the monster is um Badgie getting the zorification of it all? Ooh, I really like that. Of like this is Badgie like sort of personifying himself and really self-actualizing. Yeah, like Badgie absorbed the sphere data and he became that monster. I also really expect that next episode's going to have a a very never-ending story-esque feel, right? Of yeah. like Sakal being like, oh, "I'm not afraid of you." And like, I don't know, naming uh Saru or something and, and dispelling away this this smoky creature. Yeah, I and it's interesting, like, it seems to me that the whole point of that smoky creature is, like, Sukal's mother put him there so that when Sukal was, is finally able to confront it, um, he'll be ready to leave the environment. And it's it's like his big test, but he just keeps, like, willfully failing it. Yeah, exactly. Or it's this thing of, like, hey... Uh, when you do abandon a child when he's very young and leave holograms to raise him only, his his maturity might be just a wee bit stunted. And I get just a bit. I also I was a little confused by the timeline at first because I had forgotten, and I think the Kelpians themselves have forgotten because it's it's tough to say what the lifespan of a Kelpian was in the first two seasons because it was always cut short due to the Vahiri of it all. Yeah. But I guess, are they a little Vulcan in nature? Because it seems like Sakal is uh, 125 years old and change. Uh, but it seems like, you know, he looks relatively fine right now. No signs of old age like that elder. Yeah, he's still very spry. I would would have loved... I would have loved the elder to tell everybody how old he was. So we got a sense of, like, where, where Sakal is on the timeline. And I also, I thought it was very interesting, like... Saru being so excited to see that elder. He's like, I've never seen an old Kelpian before. And, yeah. but he was, he went about it the wrong way. I think he was like, tell me the old, tell me about the old ways and tell me about the mythology. And that seems strange to me because it's like, you don't have mythology. You were prey species until you went through Kelpian puberty and scuttled that for everybody. So 
I guess it's like he wants to catch up on a thousand years of Kelpian traditions. Yeah, or or it's like, hey, I haven't experienced home in so long. Like, tell me a fairy tale. Yeah, you know, tell me something that I know. Which is sort of the reason for the season, right? That that sort of is like has been Saru's attitude this entire time. Michael even vocalized it to Book of like. I'm going down there because I don't trust Saru will do the right thing in the heat of the moment, which is like hot kettle, Michael Burnham. Excuse me. The last person on earth that can call out a conflict of interest is Michael freaking Burnham. (laughs) Sorry, not okay. I don't know. Maybe it's also takes one to know one. You know, she's like, I know I couldn't do it if I was in his shoes. So therefore, I'm going to make that assumption. Yeah, I would have liked that a little bit better. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. Maybe. I mean, I'm assuming... Actually, I don't know if Michael's going to go back to the planet because I, I haven't watched any sort of next time on. My hunch is going to be that Michael and Buck are somehow going to go to rescue Discovery Die Hard style. But so I guess like she's not going to encounter that again. But yeah, I agree. I would have loved that moment for her to be like, Saru, you know, you're not capable of this. And Saru's like, oh, look who's talking. Yeah. Remember the talk that I had with you about Giorgio T minus two episodes ago? Look, the other shoes on the other foot now, honey. Yeah. Remember how we demoted you and you don't get to be my XO anymore? Remember yeah. that? <laughs> exactly. What What did we expect, by the way? So, yeah, so, I mean, of the many uh, arduous places our characters are left in by the end of this episode. So Saru and Colbert down on the planet. The Colbert stuff is is interesting you know i'm glad again he's becoming more of the away team of it all but it seems like he told stamets before he was like he felt felt like he found his purpose i don't know do you, are, you, are you expecting a very revelatory moment from Hugh next episode with sakal yeah i think he's gonna have a breakthrough because that seems like he's had one note all season we need to talk about that too like colbert does one thing all season and that's like insinuate himself into other people's life journeys because he's still dealing with the fact that he was dead for a while Mm-hmm. And he's like, your experience was a lot like when I was dead for a while, and I'm going to help you through it. It's like, dude, you aren't even through it. So <laughs> I don't I don't know about this, but I guess it makes sense the way that he has been with everybody, like especially with Adira. He has been sort of like, my new job is to fix everybody and get them through their I was dead and now I'm not dead anymore thing. And Everybody's like, well, that's not really what my situation describes. He's like, no, no, it's it's okay. I can I can figure this out. And I guess if we're gonna send somebody down to the surface, it makes the most sense to send him because we don't really need him on Disco. Mm. And you know, he we have another doctor. He's just gonna hang around. Like you know, Stamets is at work, so he doesn't need to. You know, he can't be there. And Adira is also at work. So what what does Colbert do when Adira and Stamets are at work? Who knows. Well, that's, I mean, you bring up a great point in your initial statement that if it comes to, okay, we have to approach this Kelpian very carefully for Colbert to be like, hello, I'm so glad I can sympathize with you. I'm actually (laughs) dead and I came back to life via magical mushroom network. Like that's going to send him absolutely (laughs) off the deep end and and that will cause another burn, Colbert. So I I think that, you know, we, we talked about how maybe his bedside manner is not maybe the best part of his his fantastic character maybe he's gonna have to work on that asap if he wants to you know tread extremely lightly once he eventually encounters to call here yeah do you want another burn Hugh? that's how you get the burn exactly that's and and then some uh well jess i would love to talk about what's going on shipside up at disco with stamets and the crew sans colbert but first let's take a quick break to hear from some more of our sponsors It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And we back. 
we back. So yeah, let's let's go up into orbit because just this is you know a long time coming. Tilly has shown a bit of command with her new promotion, but now like this is the first real test and talk about trial by fire. Yeah. Wow. This is like she gets to she gets to have her hands on the controls for just a minute. And it's like it reminds me of like one of the first temp jobs I had. I was answering phones for this dude. And there was a list of ten important clients. And he said, if any of these call, you gotta you gotta talk to me no matter what I'm doing, I'll stop what I'm doing and I'll I'll put the other person on hold and pick up these people because these are very important. And so one of them calls, I'm like, okay, put them through. They're very important. And he's talking to them, and then another one on the list calls, and I'm like, what do I do now? Like, do I tell him to dump the first person and get the other person? Like the power ranking. Yeah. It, it was, and that was what it brought to mind for me. Uh, just like you're supposed to have this one very simple task, like just sit up here and, you know, fix your shields and wait for everybody to be done so you can pick them up again. And then all hell breaks loose. I don't know, Jess, were you advised by your boss there was a special little uh, defect on your armrest <laughs> that you should reach for whenever you're stressed? No, nobody told me about any such defect, and I would have appreciated one. But I imagine, like, Tilly had her hand on that thing. She probably just snapped it right off when that happened. Yeah, I'm. are you surprised that, like, is that sort of the Starfleet version of a fidget spinner? Of, like, if you feel <laughs> distracted or, like, emotionally overwhelmed, just grip it and it'll ground you back in reality? Yeah, I think that's exactly what it is. And I, I maybe that's not a defect. Like, maybe they intentionally put those there. Yeah. I would want one. Yeah, maybe it is sort of like, hey, you know what? Or maybe it's a, it's almost like the artist's remark of the ship designer of like, nothing in life is perfect. There always needs <laughs> to be like one little thing out of place. So we put a little metal stud right under an armrest to show that. Is he like making Islamic tapestries now, but ships? <laughs> no, listen, you know, again, in a world without uh, at least, you know, westernized organized religion, you got you got to get your jollies off somewhere. But yeah, like you said, really unfortunate timing for Tilly, though I think we got like a small glimpse of it. And I will say, I think more so than any captain I can really think of, uh, Tilly's real mouthy as a yeah. captain. Yeah. Well, she also, she, her, the people that she has learned captaincy from, you have Pike, you have Captain Killy, mm. and you have Saru, who's still figuring it out and not a great instructive person as far as leadership at this moment. So she's like, she's just trying to channel like, who is the person who's most like me that I could reach out to in this moment? And she reaches across dimensions and comes up with Captain Killy. I was going to say, this is probably the closest she's gotten to Captain Killy proper. Because I don't think like Saru certainly would not say, I'd rather let our ship self-destruct than give it over to you. Hang up. You know, like Tilly is the master of the end communications here. (laughs) And I think, you know, maybe... Once she gets to the chair a bit more, she's going to have to deal with being a bit more diplomatic. But I think Tilly was very much taking the I do not negotiate with with terrorists uh, yeah. vantage point. And not only will I not negotiate with them, I'll also flat out insult them as well. You know, at some point in the future, she and Saru are going to be having drinks and he's going to be like, wait, you what? <laughs> you know, yeah. Tell me that part again. Like, tell me the part where you, you hung up on them. You said you'd rather have the ship self-destruct and then you hung up on them. You hung up on the terrorists. Yeah, and I do wonder how the rest of the crew was reacting as well. I don't. I can't remember if we got many reaction shots of them being like, "What are you doing?" I think there was one thing of Detmer being like, "What the yeah. hell is she talking about?" Oh man, I shouldn't have said we should have shouldn't have agreed to the transfer of power here. I think we made a huge mistake. Yeah, well, I don't know. I feel like Detmer had her back because Detmer's waiting for something exciting to happen. Like that's her whole thing is like, when do I get to save the day? When you see her try to save the day too, like you see everybody. And she's like, reaches over to the controls. She's like, and they said, nope, stop. And she had to stop. But she was thinking like, what if, what if it was me that got, got over to do the thing on the controls and saved everybody? Like that's Detmer's, that's Detmer's thinking in that moment. So she's like, she's ready for the adventure. She wants life threatening situation. So, you know, we talked about this back during, I guess it was episode eight before the two parter about whether we felt that Osira would be the big bad of the latter part of the season. And I guess at least for these couple of episodes, evidently it will be, considering that she has taken the namesake ship. Yeah, but she's not very bright. This is not a good plan, Mike. This is, like, what what is she doing? She's like, it's like, you don't steal a car and then take it back to the garage where it's usually parked. Yeah. 
Like, and what I, is the point? I mean, I guess what maybe I'm assuming what her plan is, is she's going to take it back to Federation HQ and like hold it hostage, almost be like, hey, I'm going to get, you know, you give me all the dilithium you have, or I'm going to blow up the only spore drive ship that you own and hope that that's good. Posturing is going to help, though. You know, I think Vance is someone who's a bit similar, like Tilly, that like he just doesn't give an F about the Emerald Chain anymore. So he might outright refuse the offer. And then where's she going to be? You know, if I was Vance, I'd just like fire on her. Yeah. <laughs> just be like, oh, oh, hi. Hi, Osira. What? You're going to blow up this ship? Well, what if I blow it up first? Yeah, like- I, I, I'm thinking like Keanu Reeves shooting the hostage in speed. Yeah, or like I, uh, you know, I just watched Die Hard. Like when uh, accidentally, you know, uh, that douchebag with the beard ends up getting killed because he claims he's like big friends with John McClane, and John McClane's like, I don't know this guy. Like, <laughs> you fine, go ahead and kill him. That's essentially what it is. Like I've only known these people for like several episodes. You know, I I barely trust them to begin with. Go ahead, blow them up. That that's absolutely fine. I guess that seems to be the plan at the moment. I mean, I I, I think they did an effective job of at least making the Emerald Chain look more unified than they mm-hmm. were previously, even with all, like, the over-the-top mustache twirling from Osira. Like, the fact that they timed out the dramatic beam in uh, yeah. to, like, the moment right when they were about to do it, you know she was just waiting to go, and go, and then they beam yeah. in right as Stamets is about to be, like, mid-goo plunge. And I guess the scariest part of this all is it looks like they flat-out mind-controlled Stamets right now. Yeah, that is pretty creepy. But you knew they had some like pretty heavy slave control things because we've seen them before. I just haven't seen one where they can get like right in his brain and tell him exactly what to do. Yeah, like where his eyes go white. Yeah. And it means like he's lost all form of consciousness. Though maybe next episode will be like, okay, you have to fight it, Paul. Yeah. What did he warg into at that moment? Yeah, I don't know. Maybe he warged into like. Yeah, grudge. Or maybe he warged into Hugh's earring down on the planet. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, um, it's more like yeah, he's gonna come back and he's gonna hold the door. Yeah, exactly. Or maybe maybe Stamets. Yeah, he wor- he works back to like when Lorca was on Discovery and he like accidentally triggers you know his own uh, his own becoming the mycelial conduit and then that just causes a paradox <laughs> that kills him and then just makes essentially renders Discovery inert so Osira leaves them alone. Yeah. That- I I think that is as plausible as anything we're actually going to see. It was interesting to me because there's a moment like this. I don't know that anybody on the writing staff has read any Octavia Butler, but in the book, The Parable of the Talents, there's a moment like this when the um, the tyrannical government descends on this community and the moment that that ends the chapter is the protagonist feels a slave collar get clamped on her neck and then it's this collar that like it electroshocks you into being forced to do whatever people tell you to and Mm. if you try to take it off it explodes um which itself is stolen from battle royale i believe but (laughs) (laughs) it all it's all just cyclical but yeah it's like it's like book with the emerald chain technology right It's, it's always taken from like a different source Yes, exactly. And it's just like, it's different iterations, like a copy of a copy at this point. But that was the, when they clap that thing on his head, I'm like, God, that's an Octavia Butler slave collar. Um, and yeah, very creepy. And it's weird that they don't just do that for everybody, given that they had this plant where people were fomenting rebellion. It's kind of like, maybe it's really special things and you have to work very hard to control the mind. Yeah, I don't know, because I guess th- on the planet, it was, I guess, the the fear of it all, because they had the trackers, and then I guess that was triggered by the electric fence right, yeah. to cut off people's heads. Maybe maybe it's too much to splurge on, uh, so they're just like, all right, only for the finest ship in the Emerald Chain fleet do we give this sort of, like, weird head massager mind control device to it. But but one disco crew, or actually two disco crew members got away, we should point out. Specifically, I'm intrigued about the whole Adira side of yeah. things because lost in all this i think is the fact that adira stows away on book ship and rogue roguelike beams down onto the planet or into that ship to help saru and Colbert. so you can imagine they're also going to get thrown into the whole sukal fray next episode yeah adira is like they are showing some real uh they're throwing off some real wesley crusher energy this episode yeah in like, ways that they were not previously and it was yeah. big wesley crusher energy to begin with it's that episode of tng where everyone becomes addicted to that game from Risa, yes. where you throw the 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 hoops yep. into the disc the ashley judd episode yeah and, and wesley and ashley judd are the only two who aren't affected by it and they have to save the ship yeah exactly it, it is very much like that and i 
I like the idea of the Adira character, but I, I feel like they are doing just a little bit too, like too much good in the world. Like they mm. are bringing about too many brilliant plans in this pint-sized teenaged package for me to really fully be on Team Adira anymore. And it pains me because I I love Adira. I love the idea of them. And I love the whole trill experience, but I I can't I can't even with a sixteen year old child saving the entire universe. I don't know a sixteen year old child helping save the universe from a stunted child. Jess, it all makes sense. The children are our future. This is a backdoor pilot for the Nickelodeon series. At the end of the day, <laughs> oh god. But yeah, well, I, I I think <laughs> I I think that you know I I see your point about Adira. I'm still aboard with Adira. What I will say is I feel like the writing on Adira hasn't been. The greatest, specifically the past few episodes, especially this the first scene, which I guess took place like immediately after this the last scene of the last episode. They do the toast and they sort of have like the reception afterwards. I don't know. I feel like the the reappearance of Gray, at least at the time, was such a nothing burger of like, hey, I'm back because I was scared and I was frustrated that like I can't appear to anybody else. And yeah. and the deer is like, okay, that's fine. Let's keep moving forward. If that's all they make of it, I will be significantly confused as to why they made that a thing. Yeah, it must be there must be more of a thing to it. I I would imagine we're going to see it's not going to be Adira that necessarily saves the day. I think it's going to be Gray at the end oh, of the day. I, I would really like that too because to be honest, it's, it gives sort of Gray something to do outside of, you yeah. know, if if Gray's whole sticking point is, you know, will I get to be the invisible ghost? guardian angel that nobody else can see and i have a life that i want to live then this could be an opportunity to realize like oh i can live my life vicariously through this person yeah there could be something to like what if what if sukal can see gray oh that's interesting if like his whatever set of powers he does ha- allows him to see like the lifetimes of you know or unless we're still trying to figure out i think if gray is just like a manifestation or like if something wonky is really going on and if it's the latter maybe sukal can see him that's what i i'm guessing i'm guessing sukal will be able to see him and or that gray will be able to do something down on the surface of the planet that maybe he couldn't before and he can be sort of like the he can be an extension of adira in Mm. some way that is helpful to the group well, here's the interesting thing. So obviously, all of the humanoids characters are suffering from the radiation. Maybe Gray can't ah. by proxy of not being corporeal and can therefore like help save the day. Yeah, he can go and talk Sukal off the ledge when everybody else is like foaming and writhing with radiation. Yeah, exactly. Because it, it's benefiting the first the first time he's able to benefit from the fact that he is not alive. Right. Right, and it could be that Skull can see him naturally, or there's something they can do to see him. Um, because I know there's been various trill things you can do to like get one of your personalities out to interact mm-hmm. with you. So there may be a way to, there may be a way to make Gray appear if he doesn't organically appear. The timing of this is so interesting to me, though, because you know this is us prognosticating about the second to last episode of the season. If they, you know, get the ship back and like, you know, calm down to call and everything, what is the season finale going to be? Yeah, like this is also the the timing of everything this season has been so weird because I yeah. feel like for three or four episodes we have dragged our feet. We've not really moved the plot forward as much as a typical discovery season, just like, you know, Indiana Jones boulders us with information. Mm-hmm. There's been a few episodes that have been a lot quieter and they feel like chess piece episodes in a way that we get maybe like two or three chess piece episodes in a disco season. And they're not in a row. And this has just felt like, oh, well, we have to resolve this Giorgio thing before we can go on. And the Giorgio thing just put a big pause button on everything. Yeah. And now we're jumping back into this and it's like, how are they even going to resolve this in three episodes to begin with? Yeah. I mean, this, I mean, this could very well be a three part finale, right? We could go like a uh, DS nine season six style of like a mm-hmm. multi hyphenate arc of, okay. Like the first step was this introduction. We don't leave the planet next episode. Like we still get everything done and, and, you know, book and Michael start to make their way through discovery. And then the finale is the big centerpiece 
discoveries taken back, Osiris defeated, the burn is discovered, and then some big event happens that sets up season four. Maybe that's the way they could do it, but that's still, you know, two hours essentially is going to be, even though you said it's a lot of plot, I feel like that's almost too much time to cover it, you know, especially to your point, like the clip that Disco usually does it at. Yeah, it's true. It's very... I think I think Disco in any other season, I'd have every every ounce of faith that they could accomplish that. But this is really, this is, it's kind of like, okay, what are you going to do with the other 45 minutes? Yeah, no. exactly. And I guess, you know, the, the, the place to start is going to be where things uh, so, you know, emotionally ended for Michael and Book. They get there <laughs> right at the worst time, right when everything's disappearing. Yeah. I'm going to assume they get back uh, because, I mean, Osira got to them using that, well, like transwarp conduit tunnel that book knew about they could very yeah. easily do that so luckily it won't be like a bottle episode of the two of them making their way back slowly to federation <laughs> hq arguing the entire time about whose fault it was it's like they're playing desert bus yeah exactly it just like don't uh, it drifts too far to the left so you gotta make sure your yep. hands are on the wheels at all times but yep. I, I i think from what i hear i believe they'll be able to get to disco next episode so i think they'll be able to, to you know make their way through it but also makes things they better get discovery fast then, because that makes it even more critical considering that like, oh yeah, we left three people behind who may or may not be dying on the planet in several hours. Yeah, there's that. Or there could also, it's the possibility maybe we have to resolve Sukal first and then go back and save Disco. Um, I, I'm not sure like what you need to put together to resolve both things. Like, can you can you resolve something with Sukal that then fixes what's happening with Disco? Or do you have to fix the thing with Disco so Disco can come back and save everybody on the Sukal planet? I mean, it's a good point. In befriending a supernaturally powered child, could you essentially be like, hey, uh, would you do me a favor and like bring this ship back? Like, oh yeah, you know, I Dream of Genie style, like, and then it yeah. just pops back up in front of the nebula. Or he can like, can you reach across space and time and like just focus all of your supernatural energy on Osira and make her explode? Oh, yeah, cool. Yeah, she, and so just like yeah, she's monologuing in her chair with one foot up on it, and then her head just explodes in the middle of it. Yeah, scanner style. Yeah, exactly. Or uh, uh, what was it? Uh, uh, conspiracy, TNG style. Yeah, yeah. That, would be, that would be fun. I mean, we don't know the extent of his powers, considering that, again, I'll be very intrigued to find out what this this origin incident was, considering that, yeah, we, we you know, we got Book makes the observation of like, oh, we almost had another burn happen because of that that one little outburst. But that only seemed to hit, like, a couple of ships. What could have possibly been done to cause a reaction that said, not only are the ships in proximity going to get hit, but apparently, like, every ship everywhere is going to hit near simultaneously? Maybe that's when Mommy died. I mean, that's that's the, mo- that's the Occam's razor, right? Like, that's yeah. the most simple one. Is like, she either she got killed or she died. He has this huge cry out Darth Vader style and then it just like completely the overwhelming grief just knocked out everything and it expanded almost infinitely. Yeah. I mean, toddler tantrums, Mike. I don't know if you're in that yet, but I'll, I'll tell you. I I feel like my kid could cause the burn sometimes. Uh, so that's interesting. And maybe they also wanted to call back to like the parent aspect of it. I'm like, we find this to be most relatable. You know, Trekkies are now adults possibly raising families of their own. We wanted to deal with problems that they're used to dealing with on a daily basis. Turned out the burn happened because Sukal didn't want to go to bed. <laughs> what if that was what it is? Or like he got denied Halloween candy. He could, he could only have two pieces that night and they could have the rest the next yep. day. Yep. I mean, it, it takes so little to set them off if they're, if they're in that spot. So. Yeah. In fact, I can hear mine out there right now. I can hear little feet running back All and right. forth. Destroying well, dilithium in its wake. Before we get to your suit call to hopefully cause another burn localized within your apartment, is, is there anything else you want to talk about before we move into uh, the typical ending stuff? Um, I think we're ready to end stuff, Mike. Um, although I, I hope we're not ending on as much of a cliffhanger as this episode did. I don't think so. Though I will say one more quick thing. Uh, on the continued note of season three, giving Sequa Martin Green so much great stuff to do. I loved her attempt to pretend to be a hologram with like the plastered <laughs> yes. on smile of like, hello, how can I help you today? I, it's just, again, I'm so glad for so many reasons they're giving her so much more to do than just, you know, either be really cold or really sad. 
And I think that just that little moment is, is a great way to flex those muscles that she's had this entire time. Yeah, it, and I think Michael Burnham is really inconsistently written in a lot of ways. Like she herself contains a lot of contradictions. So I think, I think it's fun when she gets to break out of that and play someone that's like a little bit simpler. Yeah, exactly. Yep. So Mike, I think that about wraps it up for us. Um, we're going to wrap things up very simply, much like we are holograms ourselves. Yeah. And hopefully nobody breaks, uh, while we're talking here, not just from internet, just from pure, uh, I guess mentality's sake. It's been a long year, but we are nearing yeah. the end here. Just uh, this will be the last uh, disco podcast we record in 2020 proper. So yeah, we've got two more episodes of Discovery after this to take us a little bit of overlap into 2021. But we are ready to leave 2020 <laughs> behind as we speed through the wormhole into whatever mystery 2021 has to offer. Yeah, I'm going to th- about to throw a tantrum and cause a burn on 2020. Let me tell you what. Um, Mike, do we have any news on when anything else is coming back in the Trek universe in 2021? So it's it's weird because so, so Disco Season 4 has technically been in production, I believe, since October or November. Uh, speaking of Doug Jones' hair, I know he, he made a big show about shaving his head to take on the Kelpian loaf once more. <laughs> so I believe they've been filming in the fall, and I'm assuming they'll probably be finished up in the next couple of months or so. I know that Jack Quaid had posted something about him, you know, recording VO for Lower Decks, uh, you know, within like a closet or something. And then I know one of the Picard actors had said in an interview like, oh, yeah, we're starting production soon. So if I had to put money on what is most likely to come back first, I would probably say Lower Decks and then followed by Disco Season 4. That being said, there is no timeline that has been set up. There's also stuff like, the um the the Giorgio or not the Giorgio the Prodigy series the the Janeway Return series mm, that has yes. been announced but there's been no news on it so I think we will get Star Trek in 2021 but I am going to put out a bold prediction and say that I don't think we're getting it the first six months of the year. I was worried about that, Mike, and of course nothing about Picard season two, has there? No, yeah, I think I think you know they said it was happening, but I don't know. Because I believe they filmed, unlike uh, you know the other shows that film in Canada, I believe they filmed in L.A. last mm. year. So I think yeah. unless they want to pull a CW and like change their filming locations to Canada, uh, <laughs> where you know I think they're they, they're more on the up and up in terms of health and safety restrictions, I think they're probably waiting for the world to change in a manner of speaking over the next few months before they go back to work. Okay, John Mayer. Um, yeah. So what else is going on with you, Mike? So we are reaching a very crucial point in Lost Down the Hatch. Josh Wiggler and I just talked about Greatest Hits, one of the most emotional Lost episodes we've talked about so far, sending off uh, another character, dealing with another child. In this case, it's Aaron, not Sukal, who, you know, maybe in another timeline, Aaron uh, would have been built up to be, you know, a super-powered, you know, emotional burst-causing apocalypse man. But that's for another type of show. But right now, we are gearing up for the big two-part finale. We're going through the looking glass, as we are on Discovery as well. Arguably one of the most, if not the the most important episode in the series of the show. So no pressure. But it's going to be a very fun way to welcome in the new year. So be sure to check that out. And Jess, I know that speaking of Apocalypse, you got to finally talk about something that you have been waiting literal decades to talk about in a manner (laughs) of speaking, The Stand. Yes, Mike. And I think this is actually a really, a really great point to, this is a great place to be the first place to announce this, that, uh, Rob Sesternino and I are going to be covering the stand regularly <gasps> throughout its season. Ooh. Uh, that is, that is late breaking news because, uh, we did episode one this past week and had a great time doing it. Uh, the original plan was we were going to cover the entire series and we were maybe even going to do a rewatch of the 94 series and mm-hmm. Josh Wiggler was in on it and we were all very excited. And then Josh got the screeners and he said, you know what, guys, I'm out on this. I can't. Mm-hmm. And, and it's like, yeah, Josh, 2020 has brought enough on you. You watched a lot of Fear the Walking Dead this season. You you had to watch all of Walking well, Dead. I was, was going to say more so World Beyond than Fear the Walking Dead this yeah. year. Fear was good this year, but World Beyond, yeah. So you know you get a pass, Josh Wiggler. You've you've had to put up with a lot. Um, no more Strigoi for you. Uh, but Rob and I are watching. And we're like, you know what? I kind of hate it, but it's also kind of fun. 
So let's keep going with it. And Rob said, yeah, I'm 100% in on anything stand related we choose to do. And so we are going to keep going. We're going to be recording tomorrow, um, episode two, and we're going to just keep, keep on keeping on. And, uh, I think if you have any familiarity with the story, uh, I recommend, I recommend going back and watching the 94 miniseries and, or at least rereading the book because I feel like that story is much better told, but there are some really great moments here. And I, I think taken scene for scene, this is a very well done adaptation. It's just that they put the scenes in the wrong order. Ah, interesting. Okay. So it's all, you know, it, it was all just about the sequence of things. I'm very excited for that. It's, it's it sounds like classic, like, Rob and Jess Walking Dead content. Of yes. Rob being very incredulous about certain choices being made on TV. And that always makes for good podcasting as long as his blood pressure is not, you know, sacrificed for that. So yeah, that's all super exciting. Of course, we have a lot of other great stuff going on here on Post Show Recaps as we round out 2020. Speaking of rounding stuff out, I know that uh, Zach and Jacob just are finishing or they have already finished uh, book one of Avatar The Last Airbender. So they're making their way through the series of course the mandalorian is wrapping up their coverage they did a season two feedback show as well as uh, i believe talking about the gallery episode that recently aired on disney plus and also kevin mahadeo and josh regler are doing a little bit of an intermission on everything is super now that they have finished uh, the spider-man movies that they would like to talk about they're doing a duology of wonder woman movies so i believe Wonder Woman, uh, the the OG, or at least not the OG, the Gal Gadot OG, is being talked about this week. And then next week, of course, the recently released Wonder Woman 1984, which is being talked about prolifically on our Discord. So if you are a patron at the $10 level of Posho Recaps at patreon.com slash Posho Recaps, you get the ability to enter the Discord where there is so much being discussed between stuff about recent pop culture, uh, you know, institutions like Wonder Woman 1984, uh, becoming fans of the Brooklyn Nets, uh, getting Josh to tr- attempt a somersault during a watching with Wiggler live watch. There's so much going on on the Discord. Just a quick note, uh, Patreon usually ups memberships at, on the first of every month. So I will say if you want to become a new member, hold out until the first of January, just so you get your money's worth and that you're not charged twice, essentially. But hopefully, once the clock strikes and the calendar turns over to 2021, you'll be there with us talking about all things pop culture and beyond on the Discord of Post Show Recaps. Yeah, um, and Mike, I think it's also worth noting that in addition to the Discord, which is itself a prize, you can also you can also join us at the five dollar a month level and just get access to three weekly podcasts um, that are incredibly entertaining. I think my favorite of the three is Post Show Recaps Theater, in which the patrons suggest movies for us to watch and vote on we nominate movies and they vote on it and then josh and his lovely wife emily and special guests will recap whatever movie the patrons decide we're going to watch um and then i also want to call out that if you want to be extra generous and join us at the 15 dollars level every three months it's like we have a post-show recap subscription box mm. and you will get a little piece of post-show recap swag and there's gonna be some, some fun stuff coming up that we've been working on but the first of those things that you can get is a much coveted wiggler's wombats hat so if you have never been able to craft the perfect song parody to earn one there's another way you can do it absolutely that is off the emerald chain as the kids would say i'm assuming in 3100 do you think I, they would say know. that I haven't seen any kids except Adira, and I don't know if they're hip to the lingo. I don't know. Well, well Adira, I, I don't want to tangentialize before we finish things up here. Did you notice that Adira uses like odd 90s and early 2000s slang? Like, yes. She, they say like, oh, you're the bomb or like uh, gents. I think they used a few episodes <laughs> ago. I Maybe maybe Adira. Maybe one of Adira's hosts was a big fan of like the 1990s. Um, new Brat Pack revival films, and pretty soon they're going to be saying like "as if." And um, I, I honestly though, Jess would not be surprised if it's like, "Oh dear, you came down to the planet without radiation medicine." As if you know, don't have a cow. Here's your radiation medicine, Colbert. <laughs> yeah, I totally forgot the radiation medicine. Not, not. I do it. Psych. Yes. <laughs> yeah, uh, and one more thing I want to call out before we wrap this up is the machinations that Adira went through to get down to the planet. 
basically consist of, hey, Reno, I need your badge. And Reno's like, yep, here you go. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, I love That's- that. I mean, of all people to ask, it's definitely Jet Reno. They picked the right person being like, yeah, I don't care. Sure, here you go. I trust you. <laughs> yeah, Reno's the best. I'm not going to please I want you. A, I want a Reno spinoff. Um, I think we all want that. Interesting. That I'm um, At least a short trek. Short, start with the short trek and then build up from there. Yeah, it works for everybody else, Mike. So I think that about wraps it up for us. Uh, please make sure that you let us know what you thought of this episode and others by hitting us up on the Twitter. You can reach me at Haymaker Hattie. You can reach me at a Mike Bloom type. You can also reach us generally at Post Show Recaps. And hey, I know we're a few weeks from the end of the season, but if you want to slide into your, your podcast rating store of choice and, and give us, you know, a couple of five-star reviews, that, of course, is always appreciated, especially as we are nearing sort of the nebulous off-season, however long it may be. It's always the nice. Ruben nebulous off-season? Oh, boy. Hopefully not as nearly <laughs> as many ion storms coming our way. But, you know, it, it's nice to have it peak and hit the charts right before the finale when people are looking to catch up on everything that's gone on since since the beginning. Yeah, it would. If you would take a moment to give us a positive rating and review, that would be, as Adira would most likely say, thebomb.com. Exactly. Word. Yes. So I want to thank you, Mike Bloom, for joining me on all of this. I especially want to thank the patrons of Pusher Recaps and all of our listeners everywhere. Live long and prosper. We'll see you next week. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.